welcome to Astrology Hotline, the podcast where we answer your questions about astrology. I am Tristan, and hosting with me today is Kyle Pierce. Hello. How are you today? I'm uh, feeling a little sluggish, but really excited about this episode, actually. I've been waiting all day. Ooh. Enthusiasm. Should we just jump right in then? I mean, yeah, you know, in my mind, I had like this cool segue, sort of. It's like this is going to tie in so well because I feel like the way I'm feeling lately has a lot to do with our first question, which is, um, as you'll get to, <laughs> it's, uh, I feel like as uh, Venus is sort of slowing down, you know, I've been finding myself feeling like uh, slowing down and I'm really just like not wanting to do the things that, um, and I think I set up all these ideas, uh, expectations of myself that were based on what I thought other people would like, or, you know, like my horoscope, Colin, it's like, uh, got like halfway through and I was like, ah, see, I was writing it and I feel like, you know, whose voice is this? Who, who, uh, I feel like I'm writing horoscope columns that I read in the newspaper or something, um, years ago. It's like, this isn't, this isn't my voice, you know? And so now you're kind of figuring out the difference between what you actually want to do and what you think you're supposed to do or what other people expect or want. Yeah, precisely. And I feel like this will be a good time to just get a sense of, of what, um, what it is I actually want to write or how it is I want to write a horoscope column. It's just funny because I've been going through basically the exact same thing <laughs> with uh, weird Venus slowing down and... Coming very close to my natal Mars placement, and I am in a, this year Mars is my time lord for the year, and I have Mars ruling my 10th house, so there's definitely, it's it's been a big year in terms of figuring out like what is my sort of role and what is my relationship with the public, and I've been burning myself out doing the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing or what conventional wisdom dictates I should be doing in terms of running a business. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like this, the same thing you were describing with, uh, choosing topics to write about for astrology blog posts and social media posts and, Choosing topics that I'm not necessarily as passionate about, but doing them because, oh, well, that's what gets likes or that's what gets engagement. And yeah, yeah that since Venus started slowing down, I've just been really kind of the... thinking like, no, I don't I don't want to. Um, this is a subject that I have always felt passionate about and has always um, provided meaning for me. And I think passion and meaning are both very Venus topics. Yeah. So I don't want to undermine the sense of passion and meaning that I get from astrology. So I'm going to be like Venus and just do the things I feel like doing. And there will be people, you know, who like those things and maybe there will be fewer of them than the people who would like stuff that has more mass appeal but at the end of the day i will be uh writing with my own voice so yeah totally i feel like that's um that is what venus retrograde is all about i feel like there, there's just no energy for for uh the gratification for just doing things because it pleases everybody else is not 
there has to be has to come from within has to be like real and authentic you know to to yourself and maybe we should read or yeah maybe we should read our first question before we get more into this because i feel like uh uh many many things to say on this topic all right i'm the one reading this the first question right? yes yes you are yeah. <laughs> you're yes, looking sorry. at me <laughs> so our first question for this episode comes from b and b asks what are the best ways to cope with Venus retrograde in a natal chart? Hmm. Excellent question. Very, and very, very relevant. Yeah. Yes, very topical. Should probably note that um, the day we're recording this, uh, and hopefully we'll have it out relatively shortly um, after recording it, unlike our last episode, <laughs> but uh, it is December 17th. And in 2021, in two days, Venus will officially station retrograde on the 19th. So yeah, we're right on the brink of the Venus retrograde. And by the time this podcast is published, Venus will be moving backwards. I'm and I'm ready for it, honestly. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, to get to the question, um, how to cope with it, maybe we should talk a bit about, you know, what a Venus retrograde is, what, what it means generally so i think probably most people are familiar with retrogrades because mercury retrograde is uh, such a hot topic in astrology um the planets from time to time appear to move backwards through the zodiac instead of forwards and um you know to ancient sky observers this was seen as a negative omen um, sort of like the planet was going against the grain of, of what the sort of normal order uh, should be. Yeah, all planets do this, except for, I mean, all actual uh, astronomical planets go retrograde at some point. Um, they don't actually go backwards. It, it just has to do with where they are relative to the Earth and their own orbits at a given time. But I would say that Venus has a very unique retrograde cycle in the sense that I think actually of all the planets, she spends the least amount of time actually retrograde because it's only about 40 days, roughly. Granted, you're going to be wanting to look at the shadow period generally, which is like the, um, the period where Venus enters the degrees that she is going to retrograde back on and then have to retread again so i mean that whole cycle is probably a good what three months or so probably represents about a one-sixth of total venus venus time is she's in that cycle you know for about one-sixth of the time but uh, only 40 days out of roughly what two years a year and a half because i know the last venus retrograde was in gemini where my venus lives and i remember that one quite well and that was uh May, I think, last year of 2020. Yeah, so am I right or am I right? I I <laughs> don't <laughs> remember, so I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> you have a Venus, you have a, a Gemini Venus as well. You should remember. I, I do. Why don't you remember, I also Tristan? Don't remember last year very well. It all kind of blurred <laughs> together. Yeah, that was a weird year. Yeah. But um, the other thing about Venus's retrograde cycle is that it is um, uh, very consistent 
Like you can time, you could set your watch almost to Venus retrograde cycles in that uh, they happen um, in the same points of the sky over an eight-year cycle. And so basically over eight years, you get five Venus retrogrades. And um, if you were to draw them out, you would basically get like a a pretty symmetrical looking um, five-pointed star or pentagram. And uh, Venus would have gone retrograde um, almost exactly this time last, uh, it would be eight years ago. So for people that have significant placement, uh, I would say either in what, 20, between 26 and about 10 degrees Capricorn, you can probably think back to that time about eight years ago and note uh, maybe a significant shift uh, or some significant events around that time. I would say also people, anybody with, you know, significant placements like an ascendant, they're in Capricorn between those degrees or in another cardinal sign like Aries, Libra, or Cancer. Because it uh, does just seem to generally activate that area of your life. It's maybe a good starting point. I would say that Venus's significations change a bit during the retrograde cycle, but on a certain level, it's just it's Venus is spending a lot of time in that area of life, more time than you know she usually does. So you're getting a lot of attention from Venus, but a slightly different kind of attention. Well, and the, I I feel like in terms of um, in terms of interpreting Venus retrograde in a natal chart, I feel like there's sort of two broad categories of topics I want to talk about. One being uh, all the reasons why Venus retrograde is actually great, even though it's traditionally been considered, along with any other retrograde placement, to be sort of problematic. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think there are a lot of strengths and there's a lot of wisdom to retrograde planets that we um, miss out on if we don't have the retrograde part of their cycles. Um, Yeah. But then, you know, on the other hand, the question is how to cope. So, you know, if somebody, it, it's a it's a balance that I find um, I often strive for as an astrologer is that on one hand, you know, you want to have more constructive interpretations of placements because they can often play out in a really constructive ma- manner. But sometimes people do have experiences that are challenging and those placements become symbols of that challenge. And so you also want to acknowledge that. Um, so I guess, you know, broadly, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge both the strengths and and the potential challenges of a retrograde natal Venus and um, how those challenges might be addressed. Yeah. I think on the positive end, both uh, within a natal chart and, you know, as a, as a transit that, you know, we're, we're in the shadow period now and we're coming up to the actual retrograde, um, retrograde cycles do represent a sort of movement against the grain. And I find it interesting that, um, planets moving forward in zodiacal order was sort of seen as like the natural quote unquote movement of the planets. Like that's what they're supposed to be doing, but Mm -hmm. who says that's what they're supposed to be doing? Like from the planet's point of view, going through these cycles is perfectly normal and natural. It's the human uh, tendency to uh, try to order everything in a certain way and need things to be done in a certain way, in a certain order. And it, it seems orderly to us for things to just continue to move forward 
um, and, and make sort of regular progress in the same direction all the time. And it seems chaotic mm-hmm. from our point of view for things to then stop, turn around and go backwards. Um, but that's really, you know, that's from our point of view, right? Like we're kind of projecting our own uh, desire for order onto yeah. the universe. <laughs> yeah. Why can't we just have constant, you know, consistent progress forward growth? How do they say in like the corporate world is like, if you're not growing, you're dying, you know, mm-hmm. retrograde periods sort of uh, reflect that, um, that the nature of say growth is that, you know, the it has to be curbed at some point, you know, it can't just keep going in one direction forever. It can't just be going in an upward direction forever. It has to um, be curbed at some point, you know, it's just not sustainable. Uh, civilization kind of goes through these peaks and valleys. And I think that the retrograde cycles really reflect according to the different planets and their different natures, just that natural, um, process of, um, you know, having a a way of doing things, um, a system, you go forward with that system. It works, it works, it works. Oh, but you hit a snag at some point. It doesn't, you know, at some point, um, circumstances or the environment have changed to the point where, you know, you need to reassess that system and update it, upgrade it. And I think that that is um, what retrograde cycles are in essence about. Maybe for Venus specifically, maybe the most obvious area is relationships, but it's more than just like your marriage or your romantic relationships. Uh, Venus is responsible for things that give us joy, give us pleasure, um, things that we desire, how we go about bringing more of those things that we love and desire in things that, that please us. So I guess, um, it's going to depend a lot on, you know, what Venus's role is in your chart, you know, what sign and what house it's in, but what houses Venus is ruling where the Venus energy tends to be focused in your life. And I kind of think the, the call to action for, someone with a retrograde Venus in their natal chart is, um, you know, like you were saying about how there is a point in any cycle of growth, there is a point at which you cannot grow or move forward anymore. And there is a point um, where a system is no longer able to adapt to changing circumstances and needs to be reworked. And that is what retrograde cycles represent is that point at which something needs to be reworked, um, Mm -hmm. which is inevitable for everything. There is nothing that just starts out perfect and just remains perfect forever and never needs to be changed and circumstances around it never, never require it to change. That's just impossible. So a retrograde is an inevitability that we all have to deal with. And I think the sort of call to action for a Venus retrograde native is... Um, to be the person who reworks that system um, in whatever sort of area of life Venus represents in their chart. And, you know, Venus broadly does um, represent our interpersonal relationships and, you know, it has a lot to do with love and romance. So there can be, you know, things like the institution of marriage changes and the way we structure our relationships changes. Um, and there even as circumstances change around us and create new demands and possibilities for our relationships, 
there are elements that don't want to let go of how things have always been done. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes the way things have always been done just does not work anymore. Like in, in terms of marriage and relationships, you know, we, uh, most of us living in, um, you know, North America are living in like very technologically advanced societies. We're not, um, you know, living on farms without electricity, um, the sort of circumstances of our lives have changed dramatically in the last couple hundred years. And so, you know, what uh, relationships looked like a couple hundred years ago, that's not really sustainable anymore. And so, you know, the, the Venus retrograde job is to question those relationship norms and Mm -hmm. um, experiment with new ways of structuring relationships and new ways of relating to each other. And that can be a challenging task to take on because sometimes it requires, um, you know, butting heads with the status quo. Um, You know, maybe the the group that you're a part of, your peers or your family or whoever, um, you know, has a certain script for how relationships are supposed to go. And um, you question that, that particular script, or you're kind of being, you know, called upon by Venus to question that particular script. And that, you know, sets you against your peer group or your family or other sort of cultural institutions. Um, But that, that work is necessary for, you know, relationships to continue to survive and thrive. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you're in a, a relationship, you know, that relationship has to evolve with not just you personally, but also, you know, with the other person that's in the relationship. You don't just uh, land on a set of desires in life and those just are static forever. You know, those change. And typically um, at some point, often during a Venus retrograde cycle, um, <laughs> You know, you sort of realize like, oh, you know, I've changed as a person and maybe the expectations uh, of this relationship, the parameters of it Mm -hmm. need to be restructured to facilitate this, uh, facilitate the growth that I've experienced, that we have experienced, you know, with people. And I don't know, that can be like a really exciting time, even, you know, that doesn't have to be like a a shitty time um, at all, because I like to think of. It's like a cliche, but I uh, think of like a 50s housewife or something who, you know, um, makes breakfast for the family every morning and, you know, has the newspaper out for the husband and packs up the lunches and then makes dinner at night and does all the house cleaning and has like, you know, this whole set uh, of maybe responsibilities and duties that are built around a unified desire to have this idea of, you know, uh, a happy home and family life. But, you know, maybe at some point that housewife wants to go to college, wants to go out and work, wants to do something different. And suddenly realizing that these set of expectations, you know, are, are not facilitating my new set of desires and either a new set of uh, parameters needs to be established or or that, you know, relationship isn't going to work very well. Nobody's going to be very happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's uh, maybe something to say about retrogrades in general, too, is that I think in a lot of traditional texts, you get 
retrograde planets as being, you know, weakened or debilitated in some way. Um, but it's actually, you know, the point in the that cycle that the planet is closest to the Earth. It's usually mm -hmm. the brightest as a star. And um, in the case of Venus, it's almost like the desires are more intense, you know, they're not ignorable anymore. This, you know, maybe new set of, of things that you want isn't something you can ignore. So it just has to, you can't go on doing the things that maybe you were willing to put up with before or willing to just sort of toe the line. Because uh, Venus is very good at that, you know, very good at, um, it's a planet of rela relating relationships and harmonizing, making things um, fit, making yourself fit. But I think it comes to coping with a uh, Venus retrograde. If it's got you like freaking out, it's, you know, you are half of any partnership. Your needs and desires are important, <laughs> you know, at least as, as important as the other person's. So um, making sure that you're happy in a relationship is important to that relationship working. So, I mean, if your partner isn't uh, amenable to compromising or um doing things differently you know that's not your fault and that's not necessarily maybe something you need to fear it's maybe a good thing to know that <laughs> that, that uh, uh your partner's not willing to compromise or, or that you have just maybe gone in different directions yeah i think flexibility is one of the the keys to handling venus retrograde in a natal chart I mean, the, the sort of um, conventional Venusian approach to problems is to smooth things over and mm -hmm. to, you know, bend over backwards for the other person um, so that, you know, you don't you don't rock the boat. You don't risk making them upset. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're uh, there's, you know, the, the sort of difficult side of Venus can be that giving up too much of yourself uh, for other people in order to keep the peace and Venus retrograde cycles kind of, you know, refuse to allow us to do that. That's, you know, the point where Venus has to sort of question that approach and go, hey, that approach isn't sustainable. At mm -hmm. some point, I'm going to snap under the weight of, of the burden of inauthenticity or uh, giving too much of myself away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having relationships from the outset that have uh, flexibility built, like there, everyone has expectations in relationships, that's normal and healthy, but for flexibility and growth to be sort of built in to the relationship, uh, rather than having expectations that are too heavy or strict, because I think like, some relationships are able to carry on for decades where, yeah, you know, there is a lot of inauthenticity in the relationship and people are not being totally honest or being totally themselves with each other in order to keep the peace and the peace is kept. And so the relationships keep persisting, even though they're not uh, totally fulfilling, but they go on and on and indefinitely. And I think Venus, you know, Venus retrograde can maybe indicate that like that sort of relationship uh, is harder to to maintain that yeah. you know the likelihood of reaching sort of a breaking point in a relationship like that is is more likely and mm -hmm. so you know seeking out relationships that from the get go there's a mutual goal of individual growth and fulfillment within the relationship where it's like you know if you 
decide to take a different direction in life. This relationship is built in such a way that it can survive. You know, if somebody's like, well, I'm going back to school and I'm picking up a second career, that doesn't totally throw the whole relationship off. Yeah. I, I think that um, having Venus retrograde natally, a lot of the like traditional significations of Venus retrogrades, they, they kind of get uh, tied to Mars a little bit more. You know, it's a little more Mars-like in, in a sense, in that uh, while Mars is much, it's much more individualistic, they both have sort of uh, roles to play in desire and seeking out, you know, what one wants. Mars gets what it wants at regardless of the cost, you know, just one track, we're going there, we're getting it, you know, getting it done, we're going to cut through whatever we have to to get to it. Uh, Venus, you know, it's a little more, um, Venus is retrograde. It's the the desire nature is, it can be more self-focused in a sense where I think that Venus retrograde is very much more tuned into what it wants. And that can also sort of magnify the struggle of reconciling that with um, what somebody else wants. I know for me, uh, I was born not with Venus retrograde, but in the retrograde shadow, you know, Venus was slowing down and it actually went retrograde by progression. Um, when I was about to what, 21, 22, 23. And didn't know that that was happening at the time. But, uh, interestingly, I can like look back now and be like, oh yeah, that's when I, um, kind of went into a hermit mode for a while. <laughs> like I stopped going to parties and stopped um, sort of hanging out with people for the sake of hanging out because I felt like it was what I was supposed to do. Uh, I felt like, oh, I'm a young 20 something and I should be going to parties and hanging out with people. And uh, at around that time, it was like becoming very aware of why I was going out and partying or whatever. And maybe just sort of coming to terms with the fact that like, I really just don't want to anymore. I actually don't want to hang out with this person either. I don't want to hang out with this one. And it kind of resulted in a lot of people sort of going away, <laughs> like not really um, having a ton of friends for a long period of time. And, you know, there's the long period of figuring out like, well, who do I want to hang out with? And I think that, you know, when it comes to say coping with Venus retrograde in, in your birth chart, it's, you know, you're going to have to become very educated on relationships and you probably are already going to tend to be. What you were just saying really resonates with my experience of the current Venus uh, shadow mm -hmm. period. And it's going through my seventh house. Um, and uh, Venus also rules my 11th house of friends. And uh, one thing that over the last couple of weeks I've really been coming up against is the reality of social burnout that like yeah. I, uh, I went through a very, like a, a period of intense social growth where, um, my social skills really improved and, um, I kept finding more and more sort of doors opening to different communities. And I was making friends more rapidly than I had before and like good friendships with good people. And now I'm going through sort of a the the autumn phase to that summer where I'm realizing that like, oh, I can only handle so much and socializing is not the same as downtime. Um, so, yeah. you know, scheduling too many social dates is 
is actually cutting into my my downtime and just making me exhausted. And so now I have to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. take a step backward a little bit. Yeah. Uh, very, very in keeping oh, yeah. with Venus retrograde. And so, you know, if you've, if you've got this sort of thing happening in your chart, you know, this can be um, sort of a, a cyclical experience as well of, um, you know, continually recognizing that you're, you're taking on too much and, you know, maybe feeling like you're expected to take on um, more than you're able to, like what you were saying with, you know, that sort of expectation when you're in college or university and you're supposed to be uh, going to parties all the time mm-hmm. and have an active social life. And that's not actually what everybody wants, but that's the norm. And that's what's kind of expected of you. And I think that's... Uh, Venus wants to fit in. Yeah. And that sort of struggle against those social expectations is a big part of, of Venus retrograde. Yeah, that's uh, it's perfect. Yeah. And even with what you were saying is that, you know, Venus goes retrograde when it's at its maximum elongation, where it's furthest away from the sun, you know, maybe where it's like most in its own power in a sense. Um, But then it's like, yeah, you reach that point of like, whoa, I took on too much, too many, too many friends, too many um, social obligations, and it's exhausting, it's draining. And I need to Mm -hmm. come back to center, come back to me and uh, make sure that, you know, my needs are taken care of before I go out and try to make other people happy. And I think that is really at the yeah. heart of what having maybe Venus retrograde natally is going to indicate. But I mean, that also like, I feel like it just, uh, you get people who are a lot more direct about, you know, what they want, which can be nice. You know, it's not like, uh, oh, you want to go out to dinner? I kind of want to go out to dinner. What do you, you know, what do you want? Do you want Chinese food? Do you want want um japanese like do you you know well what do you want first you know like nobody wants to uh just declare what they want like a venus retrograde be like i want this and maybe a nice uh, venus direct will be like okay down with that <laughs> you know <laughs> um and then we, we talked about this before that uh venus retrogrades um natally like a lot of fashion designers have it i feel like it, it's almost like a more authoritative sort of venus um, because it has to, because it has to like stand in its own space because it is, you know, more emphasized and focused because what, you know, your personal desires are, are probably going to be strong that you can't really crush them down and, and, you know, make it super easy to fit them in with everybody else. You kind of just have to be it, be, you know, what it is that you want to be or, you know, declare your own sense of taste and style and, you know, the others will follow. Well, and this sort of, uh, cycles of fashion too where things are constantly recycled i feel like we were interpreting somebody's chart a few episodes ago and there was a venus retrograde or something we were talking yeah we were Mm -hmm. talking about the the way fashion also always looks to the past you know things that were uh fashionable in the past always end up getting recycled at some point in the future you know the 80s always comes back and the 60s comes back and um there's also this interesting phenomenon where Clothing from the past is seen as sort of conveying a higher status over time. Um, you see this a lot in history where, you know, like the regular clothes of of one time period, um, you know, hundreds of generations later become the, the clothes of uh, kings and queens, where it's sort of there's something about, you know, this older style that confers some kind of uh, status or um, there's something special about it. So that, you know, the symbolism of Venus looking into the past when they go retrograde 
um, I think fits in with that sort of recycling and, and bringing things back. Um, and sometimes we, we don't see the value of something without hindsight, you know, when we, and then, and, you know, there's also the way nostalgia colors, the way we value things, oh, yeah. we value things more when we feel nostalgia for them. So that being able to appeal to people's nostalgia is a strength of Venus retrograde, I think, oh, yeah. where it's like, oh yeah, I remember the, you know, the clear plastic purple Game Boy aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And like, I love that aesthetic in, <laughs> in the nineties. And, you know, you appeal to that sense of aesthetic nostalgia and people and you create new things that, you know, get them excited all over again. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and with Venus retrograde, I mean, yeah, you get that, like, backward-looking focus to some degree. It's almost like a a reassessment of, like, well, you know, I want something. I can't quite nail it down. You know, what – let's look at, like, the whole palette of the world, you know, (laughs) through time and see what what appeals to me and not needing to Mm -hmm. fit in so much um, or almost, like, fitting in not being – Making yourself fit in is not really an option almost because it's just not going to be authentic and natural. Um, Mm -hmm. But like Venus is also when it's going through the retrograde process, it's also going through um, at some point it's going to reach combustion with the sun. It's going to have a Cassini moment and it's going to leave the beams of the sun, but it's going to be in a totally new phase. It's going to go from either an evening star that would be visible uh, on the horizon after the sun has set or a uh, morning star, which is visible on the horizon in the morning before the sun sets. So it's going through this change of phase, um, this change of really approach to being Venus, but also this sort of purification kind of going uh, under the beams of the sun. So it, it was like a, a cleansing baptism by fire in a sense, but uh, there's a, pur- a purgative <laughs> equality to it too, where the you know, it's like purging out stuff that is useless, stuff that is not not in line with this new sense of what Venus finds to be beautiful, what, you know, this new harmony that, that Venus is working out. Um, and sometimes through that process of figuring it out, you know, there's, uh, it can look a bit, <clears throat> it's like seeking out conflict, <laughs> like to some degree, or testing, you know, testing relationships, testing to see if this relationship you know, can stand conflict, testing to see if you're actually a good match or not, as opposed to just smoothing things over. Yeah, like being willing to sort of put something, hold something to the fire to see if it will actually last. Um, Yeah, as it's, you know, the retrogrades are always part of the synodic cycle of planets, which is, um, you know, their their relationship with the sun. Um, And... So, you know, if you have a Venus retrograde in your natal chart, it's part of that like big transitional phase. Um, so if, you know, that Venus retrograde is prominent in your chart, that's really kind of um, trying to get your attention that like whatever area of life Venus represents in your chart is a major area of growth and transition for for you in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like holding things to the fire and, and testing various things out, which can be kind of dramatic you know, like a lot of sort of dramatic changes uh, going on in the area of life yeah. that, that Venus represents in in the chart. I think another important key with retrograde planets that can be challenging is like sometimes they can symbolize the ways in which 
old patterns in our lives seem to keep replaying no matter how much we we grow or change uh there are certain habits mm-hmm. that just that they're really hard to break or we seem to we we enter these phases of growth and it seems like we've made so much progress and then at some point it feels like we've taken a step backwards and we've just fallen right back on our old habits yeah um that's you know something that everybody experiences but retrograde planets can really uh act as sort of pointers to to make you think about those experiences um and the areas of life where you tend to experience them and you know the most obvious with Venus would be, you know, your hobbies, the things that bring you pleasure, your relationships. Um, but where Venus is in your chart by house, uh, we'll also um, talk about other specific areas of your life as as well, where you might, you know, feel this, you might really feel that experience of like, going, getting so far and then kind of going backwards. And I think something that's important to remember about these experiences is that change and growth are not like a linear forward motion. Mm-hmm. Um, things tend to happen a little bit more cyclically or at least in a way that isn't so linear. Um, I've seen a really good comparison between sort of like personal growth and the seasons of the year. You know, if you live in a place where there are four seasons in the spring and summer, there's this sort of rapid period of growth. And then in the autumn, um, it seems as if a lot of that growth dies away. And then in the winter, there's sort of a period of contraction and shrinking back. Um, And that's how those phases can feel. But what you don't always notice is that like all the growth that happened during the spring and summer actually hasn't been undone. Mm -hmm. Um, you're still, you haven't actually gone as far backwards as you think you have. You've still actually grown quite a lot. Um, you know, and it's only in those sort of spring and summer phases that you really notice it. But in those fall and winter phases, it feels like you've gone back farther than you actually have. But if you look, if you measured the growth of a tree, you know, even though it's, it's flowers and leaves fall away, you know, it's, it's branches and roots are bigger and stronger. It's trunk is, is stronger and wider. It has more growth rings than it had, you know, in the previous seasons. And it's easy to miss that when you're in a winter season. So I think maybe one of the sort of keys to coping with Venus retrograde is, you know, whether it's in, in your relationships or, um, you know, the things that you do for fun, or if it's, you know, other areas of your life that Venus specifically represents in your chart, if in those areas of life you feel like, oh, I keep replaying the same pattern or, you know, I, I get I get into relationships and it feels like things will be different this time. And then the same old things keep coming up again and again. It's like it's a frustrating experience. But um, and if you're not like very carefully tracking uh, the way things change, you miss how much you have mm-hmm. actually grown. Yeah. I love that. That's perfect. Um, me thinking about how similarly with Mercury is that the sun um, moves very steadily, you know, one degree a day, pretty much more or less very steadily throughout the year. It's always the steady progressive m- movement forward. Doesn't go backwards ever. Um, but Mercury and Venus, they'll, you know, move faster than the sun, you know, they'll kind of get out ahead of the sun. Um, and then, you know, they get too far and they're like, oh, have to overshot. Yeah. Overshot a little bit. And I feel like what you're describing, I mean, 
pretty much ties into just the way that growth and change work and that experience of like expansion and contraction, but there still being the the steadiness um, that that expansion and contraction is part of steady forward progress. Well, that's part of sustainable progress because yeah. I think we we go through these sort of growth spurts in our lives and we feel like, ah, everything has changed. And I'm never going back to the way things were. Like things have changed for the better and this is a brand new life. Mm-hmm. But that level of drastic change is very frightening. It's a big shock to the system. Um, you know, and the the part of you that consciously really wants that and is thrilled about it. Um, might not recognize that there are other parts of you that are perhaps subtler or more unconscious that are resistant to that change because they see it as as unsafe. Um, and so, you know, there are parts of you that may um, kind of pull back as a reaction to drastic change, which, you know, maybe is sometimes why, you know, it feels like, oh, we've moved forward so much. And then, some of the same old patterns start repeating. It's because those old patterns were safe. Like they allowed us to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we uh, engaged in those patterns for a reason. And so those parts of ourselves that are self-protective and trying to create some stability are sort of, you know, creating a bit of that contraction. Yeah. Um, And that, that can actually be a positive thing because we can overshoot, right? Like Mercury and Venus flying so far out of the sun and they're going, Oh heck, we've gone too far in this direction Mm -hmm. and you know we don't really know how like we haven't mastered a bunch of these skills yet um so we don't really know how to to live this entirely new life yet because we're still learning these new skills so we need to actually like fall back on our old skill set a little bit as we learn uh how to use these these new skills properly yeah uh it's sort of a good thing that we're not capable of that sort of rapid sudden or total you know change i don't know it's like your your body knows you know how much change it can handle um mm-hmm. and your body is always like looking to homeostasis and that can work against you sometimes um like uh i can end up using massage analogies all the time but you know it's like getting a, a <laughs> knot you know it's a which is like a, a bundle of contracted muscle fibers you know they do that because they're adapting to your circumstances and undoing that is really hard you know, you get the the knot to release, but then it, it tends to kind of go back because that's what your body knows. And it's adapted that for a reason. So it takes more consistent long-term change. It, it's uh, think of like addiction, you know, if you're trying to uh, get over something like alcoholism. Uh, they say that like relapse is part of the process of um, recovering from addiction. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of having to fall back uh, on on that kind of over and over again until you, you know, slowly sh- change over time. And actually, I think it's uh, a good segue into maybe noting the dark side of, of Venus retrograde with the sort of intensifications of uh, Venus's desire when it's um, retrograde is it sometimes, you know, can, it can use subversive means to get what it wants or it can get really uh, fixated on certain pleasures and that can be problematic in some way. So, I mean, that, that can be, you know, it might be a little more inclined to use like coercion to get something that it wants. Uh, Some be something to consider or have awareness of if you have Venus retrograde natally or even during um, 
uh, transit, Venus retrograde. So, you know, maybe take into consideration uh, the sorts of uh, desires you have and if you're going to extremes to to achieve them. And that's also, planets also represent other people in chart. They don't only represent you. So um, difficult placements, you know, sometimes uh, it can be something, you know, internal, uh, a bad habit or, or behavior or pattern that we tend to struggle with, but it can also be external. It can be, you know, somebody who behaves like that, yeah. you know, like Venus retrograde, um, you know, maybe in the the seventh house or the 11th house um, where you meet other people um, could represent people like that, people who are kind of coercive or manipulative. Yeah in your life and sort of, you know, watching, watching out for those patterns of behavior in other people, um, you know, learning to recognize those. Absolutely. Yeah. Glad you emphasize that because that is a yeah huge component. And granted, you know, all the planets end up having influence on your character because the people around you have influence on, you know, who you become. So, I mean, if you're dealing with lots of people like that, you know, uh, don't be like them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and know how to deal with them, how to, how to get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the potential uses of Venus retrograde simply because it spends like transiting Venus retrograde because it spends so much time um, in a particular sign. Mm-hmm. So it's going to spend a long time in a particular part of your chart. Um, so that can be, you know, symbolic of, an extended opportunity to, you know, set up new boundaries and, you know, a Venus retrograde kind of questioning who is in your life and why they're in your life and, and whether or not uh, they should continue having a place yeah. in your life. And just gaining a lot of insight on specific set of uh, relationship dynamics, you know, you can mm-hmm. become like an expert on <laughs> relationships in general, but just like, yeah, certain patterns of behavior, how to deal with them. Be a good, um, mm-hmm. give good, good advice to others who are maybe dealing with similar situations. But that, do we want to move on to our next question, or do you have anything else to say on Venus retrograde? There's a lot to say on Venus retrograde, obviously. But I know I, I, I could keep talking about Venus retrograde forever, but um, I am good to move on to our next question. Yeah, we have a hard stop today, so <laughs> can't go on <laughs> yeah, and on and on. We have to stop rambling at some point. Yes. This episode of Astrology Hotline is brought to you by Newsly. If you're anything like me, you like to stay informed on what's going on in the world. In fact, paying attention to current events and watching how they correlate with transiting planets is a great way to learn astrology. But as you might know, it can be a bit of a struggle to find time to actually sit down and read all the latest articles. But not anymore, thanks to Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up web articles from the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice, liberating those busy thumbs and eyeballs of yours for, you know, that other stuff you gotta do. For the first time in the history of the internet, the web becomes listenable. So say goodbye to copying articles and pasting them into Bonzi Buddy. Just browse Newsly for articles from topics of your choice and start playing. And that's not all. With Newsly, you can explore trending podcasts from over 40 countries. Now, I know you're probably asking, but Kyle, does it have my favorite podcast, Astrology Hotline? You better believe it does. All you gotta do is download Newsly free from www.newsly.me. And to top it all off, 
you get a one month free premium subscription by using promo code astrology2021. That's astrology with zeros instead of O's 2021. Stop scrolling and start listening. Now onto the show. Well, our second question today comes from Porter and they ask, uh, is the, is the South node supposed to be who you were in a past life? Well, uh, fun question, Porter. I am probably going to end up using it as an excuse to just talk <laughs> about the South node forever, but <laughs> uh, to start with the question specifically, um, we'll probably get into the South node itself, obviously, but, um, the sort of simple answer to that question is it really depends on what you're using astrology for. Mm-hmm. I don't think that astrology in and of itself will tell you that, you know, this or that placement is, is indicative of past life experiences. And as far as I know, just personally, philosophically, uh, I have no proof of past lives. Um, granted, if that's a belief system that you practice or other astrologers follow, I would say that the South node is a good candidate to look at for things of that nature because the South node does, um, have a relationship with the past a strong one i think maybe i do i do have a lot to to say on the south node and its relationship to to past lives and i also agree that you know the answer as with a lot of things in astrology is it depends um because there are yeah uh, there is one major school of astrology where you know it, it past lives are very important and the south node is very significant which is evolutionary astrology um, but it really depends, mm-hmm. you know, what school of astrology do you follow and, you know, what is your philosophical view on past lives? Um, but I think maybe before getting into that, we should, uh, define some terms, sure. um, like de- define what the nodes are. Um, and before I define what the nodes are, I'm going to define what the ecliptic is because this is an important, uh, piece to understand for everything in astrology. But definitely to understand what the nodes are is to understand what the ecliptic is. And the ecliptic is uh, the apparent path that the sun traces out in the sky over the year. You know, from our point of view on Earth, it looks as if the sun is moving through the sky. Of course, we know now that the Earth moves around the sun, but that is still how it appears to us. Um, and that path that the sun takes through the sky um, is called the ecliptic and the signs of the zodiac through which the sun, moon, and planets move are all along this belt around the earth called the ecliptic. Um, And the reason it is called the ecliptic is that uh, when the moon crosses this plane, we have eclipses. So the nodes of the moon are the two points where the path of the moon crosses the ecliptic. Um, and you know, when the, the sun and the moon meet up at one of the moon's nodes, uh, you will often have an eclipse. And that's where a lot of the, the symbolism for the nodes comes from is their role in, in Mm -hmm. eclipses. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably worth noting that the, the, the North and South node are very, they're the, the moon's nodes. They are in a sense, the poles of the moon. Is that true? Or is it, uh. Well, the I know sometimes I have a hard time conceptualizing it, but it, it is it's you know the they are the eclipse points, um, and they are based on the moon. the The north node 
um, is where the moon crosses the ecliptic into the northern hemisphere. So it's the ascending node. So the moon mm-hmm. is moving up. And then the south node yeah. is the descending ah, yes. node. And that's where the moon's path crosses the ecliptic into the southern hemisphere. It's like the moon's path doesn't you line know, up. I never exactly fully got that until now. Thank right? you. So it kind of. <laughs> It's like yeah. where those two circles intersect and one is moving north and one is moving south. Yeah. I never fully grasped that until you just explained <laughs> that, Tristan. So thank you. <laughs> it's a lot easier to understand if you have a visual, you know, as, as usual, when you're trying to yeah. explain the astronomy stuff on a podcast without video, it's a little challenging. So I recommend, you know, if you're still uh, trying to figure out what the heck the nodes of the moon are, um, you know, look up a, a visual representation of it and it will become very clear what's going on. Yeah, well, that was a really good description. But um, do we want to talk a bit about the south node just uh, a little to get a sense of maybe why um, it gets tied in with this idea of past lives? Yeah, for sure. I find the nodes very interesting personally because you get very different interpretations of what they are, or what they mean, uh, kind of depending on what school of astrology you are dealing with. And like traditional Hellenistic astrology, they're kind of given as they're pretty simple, seem relatively simplified mm-hmm. compared to, um, say, Vedic astrology, where the north node uh, tends to signify the increase or amplification of things, while the south node tends to signify the, the decrease or elimination of things. And in Vedic astrology, uh, the north node, they're sort of treated like planets in a sense. Yeah, they're like shadow planets, kind of, even though there's yeah. no object there. So it's sort of like they're the shadow of something. Yeah, but they are, they're a thing in a sense of conceptually mm-hmm. is that they are, they're almost like bodies, but they're, they're shadows. You know, they, they you know, have uh, an impact, a material impact because they uh, are these eclipse points. And um, they're referred to in Vedic astrology as the, the Rahu and Ketu, which is, uh, the north node would be Rahu and the south node is Ketu. And I tend to look to a lot of the Vedic significations to get some, when it comes to interpreting, you know, the nodes in general, uh, not 100%. I'm interested in all of it. I like it all. But uh, the um, the south node or uh, Ketu has this um, uh, connection with the past, but also they say uh, in Vedic, it's the key to is is disembodied, it's ghostly, um, smoky and foggy. I think they're both sort of described as gods, and uh, Ketu has fierce red eyes. Spooky. Um, it's kind of yeah. The, the South Node is kind of a spooky, not planet, but I'm going to call it a planet <laughs> just for conversational reasons. But it's a or a, go- a ghostly body. It tends to make things sort of disconnect them from the material world. And I think even that you can kind of get a bit of um, past lifeiness mm-hmm. when you just think of it as sort of this ghostly object or this sort of um, disconnection with the present material world combined with its sort of past focus. And in Vedic, it's also the, the nodes are associated with illusion, you know, because they are eclipsing points. You know, they they block out the sun or the moon, depending on what kind of eclipse it is. And uh, but it is in a sense, you know, the moon or the sun aren't going away. They're just being obstructed. You know, it's it's kind of like a smoke and mirrors sort of show <laughs> that, that occurs in the sky. Um, 
but the North Node is associated with the, um, they would put it as like the illusion of the future. And South Node is the illusion of the past. And the illusion is that, you know, neither of those actually exist anymore. You know, we live in the present moment. There is no actual past. There is only so much past as it has an effect on what's happening now. And similarly, you know, with the future, even maybe more so, <laughs> the future doesn't exist as its own thing. It's, you know, something that is yet to be. And um, they're very tied to the moon and the moon significations. And the moon has to do with memory. Also has to do with, you know, bodies and physical incarnation. So I can really see how a lot of systems of astrology look to the South Node for this idea of past lives. Yeah, there's a... Uh... So evolutionary astrology, which is a, a modern uh, tradition, which I think originated in the 70s, maybe and two of its major uh, figures are Stephen Forrest and Jeffrey Wolf Green. Um, yeah, that is a school of astrology that explicitly affirms reincarnation and the existence of the soul and affirms that astrology uh, can be used to, you know, assess the past, present, and future sort of trajectory of an individual's soul. Mm -hmm. And so evolutionary astrologers will uh, use the birth chart to um, not necessarily to, you know, specify that, you know, oh, you were this exact person in a past life, but to to kind of dig into what in previous lives are you still, is your soul still carrying that is unresolved that needs to be, mm -hmm. or or at least wants to be resolved in in this lifetime, um, and uh, the South Node is both the North and South Nodes are uh, used as an important part of that assessment. With the South Node representing the past and sort of um, what you need to let go of in this lifetime, um, yeah. So it's not precisely who you were in a past life. It's one of the stronger indicators of who you were in a past life in evolutionary astrology, but the entire chart is looked at to uh, determine sort of what you're bringing into this life from your past lives. So the South Node is a very central component of who you were in the past, but is not the only one. Like every single placement in your birth chart um, will be looked at by an evolutionary astrologer to figure out, okay, what are you carrying in um, from your yeah. past life? And, uh, I think in, in, uh, I, I don't think I know in, in Stephen Forrest's book, um, about past lives in, in evolutionary astrology called yesterday's sky. Um, he makes that link, uh, that you just made Kyle between, um, the moon and memory where he says, you know, like every, mm -hmm. technically every planet, like every celestial body orbiting, uh, you know, the earth and the sun, um, has nodes like it has points at which it crosses over the sun the ecliptic um but the reason that uh the moon's nodes are used in evolutionary astrology is that the moon is linked to emotion and that um profound emotional experiences are the ones that uh tend to reverberate throughout lifetimes so you know if something really yeah. um, emotionally impactful happened to your soul in a past life that's more likely to be carried on in, into uh, the current life and need to be resolved. I mean, that all like it makes sense to me. And actually, it was like I was really attracted to that kind of astrology early on. I just I for my purposes and for, you know, what I feel um, personally, like confident and authoritative about with astrology is not, you know, talking about past lives. 
uh, that being said, you know, I'd love to get like a past life rating. It'd be interesting, you know, be cool. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't like, uh, it, it was never something I was really drawn to until we were asked this question and I started, you know, reading a bit of yesterday's sky and looking more in depth into evolutionary astrology. And I was like, I don't know, like, whether or not I strictly believe in past lives, but I'm open to it. And I'm very curious about how yeah. that uh, exploring, you know, the your soul's past, as it were, intersects with astrology. Like, I'm getting more and more curious about that. I, you know, lean in the direction of reincarnation. Uh, like, makes sense in some form or another. And it would make sense that, <clears throat> you know, if we were being reincarnated uh, in multiple lives, that our charts would somehow reflect that. Uh, or, you know, be reflections of a continuation of the karma, we'll say, from, you know, a past life. And, you know, the South Node makes sense to me in that sense. And even just the way that we treat the South Node, even in a lot of modern astrology, I find interesting because we, we ignore it. Actually, it's not even in um, a lot of uh, charts like in, uh, was it Astro? Um, yeah, the default the default astro.com chart it just shows you the north yeah. node it's interesting it's always it's like it shows you the, the yeah. ascendant and um well, i guess i'm thinking of of whole sign charts where that's relevant mm -hmm. you're always going to see the descendant in a placidus chart but um if you're looking at your chart in whole signs like you know the midheaven will be clearly labeled and the ascendant will be clearly labeled but the where is the descendant and the the inner heaven and yeah. you'll see the north node clearly labeled but where is the south node it's like we're so focused on mm -hmm. moving forward and upward and being visible and not with what's yeah. in the past or what's internal or interior yeah well and it's so much i mean it makes sense the north node is so much more compatible with uh western yeah. culture is it just more yeah. More of this and um, uh, expansion, you know, speaking of maybe expansion a bit, we were talking a bit about that with um, Venus, um, this idea that the North Node has to do with expansion. But one of the ways I've heard it put is that um, while Jupiter, you know, expands things in a solid way, you know, that there's substance behind the expansion, uh, Rahu or the North Node um, kind of blows things up like a balloon that will, you know, inevitably explode, uh, <laughs> explode or collapse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, the, the expansion that the North node creates is not necessarily uh, of a long lasting nature. Mm -hmm. And the South node is more, um, it's almost kind of like a, uh, I think of it as like a, a compost heap. <laughs> I know that's hard to like talk about the South node without, um, because we don't like the words, you know, I've, you know, used the term, if North Node is the, the head of the dragon, the all-consuming head of the dragon, then the South Node is the dragon's asshole. And that's not a perfect analogy or description of what the South Node is, but there is a sort of heaviness to the South Node and in a lot of Vedic astrology. And I mean, how I've seen it show up in a lot of serial killers charts, <laughs> the South Node can be rather harsh. It's rather uh, thinking about the way that we tend to maybe naturally want to treat um, things in our past that we want to move away from, like trauma, you know, there's sort of a kind of wanting to just like leave it buried in, in, in the mm -hmm. past. And I feel like there is um, that component to the South Node of like sort of old trauma that's sort of like being turned over, you know, like um, like worms will, uh, you know, if you make a compost heap, 
you know, you put a bunch of worms in it so that they, you know, eat all the garbage and they poop it out and eventually you get soil. But it's sort of like where things are sort of fermenting, but sort of maybe decaying as well. I know it's a complex one, the South Node. There's, uh, yeah, there's a really uh, good piece of writing by an astrologer named Curtis Manwaring, um, who runs a, a website on traditional astrology called the Lost Horoscope X Files, and he actually wrote mm-hmm. a a Hellenistic case for. Uh, the evolutionary astrology approach to the North and South node. Um, so mm. it's, it's cool. It's like a very cool sort of multidisciplinary look at um, the nodes and their sort of spiritual meaning and how they might um, be symbolic of reincarnation. And um, it's, it's a pretty lengthy article, but two of the sort of fundamental comparisons he makes. Um, one is to, overlay the exaltations of the nodes onto the Thema Mundi. And um, the Thema Mundi is a, a chart uh, that just, you know, shows you where um, all of the planets are placed by domicile, like the, their signs of rulership. Um, and in the, the medieval tradition, um, the North and South node were actually given signs of exaltation. Um, I think Al-Biruni, um, there's a part in his, his text about uh, them being exalted um, in Gemini and Sagittarius. And I'm not sure exactly what the rationale is for the nodes being exalted in particular signs. And different traditions yeah. do it differently. Like I think in Vedic, it's actually Taurus and Scorpio. Yeah, I've heard that too. It's the south node in Sagittarius. Yeah, and the north node in, the north in, Gemini. Node in Gemini. So if you place um, the south node in Sagittarius, where uh, medieval astrologers said it would be exalted, um, and you place that into the Thema Mundi, um, the south node actually falls into the sixth house, and the north node falls into the twelfth mm-hmm. house. And, and both of those houses... Um, have to do with death and rebirth. Um, and the sixth house in particular has to do with the death of the body. So that, you know, the mm-hmm. south node would become associated with the death, the place where, you know, the body becomes sick and is on uh, the boundary between life and death. Um, yeah. And in in this article, Curtis Manwaring also talks about how the south node, because that is uh, the place where the moon is is moving south, it's moving below the sun, um, the south node is the place where the sun is elevated above the moon and the sun represents the spiritual and the mental plane, whereas the moon represents the physical plane in the body. So when um, the sun is elevated above the moon, you have the death of the physical and sort of the elevation of the, mm. the mental or spiritual plane. So there's a lot of a lot of symbolism to play with in there in terms of this sort of cycle of of the soul and the body and um, them becoming separated and united and one being elevated above another um, and all of that symbolism uh, fits in really well with a um, you know metaphysics where the soul goes through a cycle of leaving the body. And sort of just, you know, returning to the spiritual plane and then entering the physical plane again in a new body and this cycle sort of repeating itself over and over. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it, it does. It does. Uh, there's a lot of, of symbolism to the nodes that really does fit in nicely with that idea. And it's cool that you can you can actually sort of come at it from various traditions. And um, there's, oh, there's yeah. symbolism that fits with, you know, the idea of a transmigration of souls being connected to the nodes. No, it's really interesting because even with, you know, the symbolism shows up with the, them being eclipsing points and the sun, you know, the sun kind of the spirit in a sense and the moon being the body the physical incarnation and the nodes having the power to eclipse those mm-hmm. things to block them out you know erase them but the uh you know they're also i mean directly associated with past lives um per se but being eclipsing points they're um given very like anti-authoritarian anti-authority significations in vedic astrology which I find just be very interesting because it's actually one of my new favorite ways to look at the nodes and charts. I can't remember who it was now. I think it was like Vic Picara, uh, who's like a tropical Vedic astrologer, basically tied the, the south node to punk rock, which um, it's really interesting because, I mean, punk rock is uh, and the south node kind of have this sort of scavengy, salvagey um quality right like recycling garbage kind of thing like punk fashion was all about just like holding your ripped up clothes together with safety pins and yeah yeah exactly that's very south note (laughs) reveling in the dirt in the filth you know and kind of uh that that's very south node south node likes to likes to get dirty (laughs) (laughs) but but uh the first thing that came to mind i was like all right i gotta test this out now and uh sid vicious came to my mind and uh, I decided to look at his chart, and he has the south node um, right there in his first house, um, which is in Scorpio. The no, north the north node is in first. his. Sorry, the north node is in his first house, um, which kind of fits because he's a very um, wild and, and boisterous sort of character. Uh, but his son is exactly in Taurus in the seventh house on the south node. Yeah, they're both at 19 degrees. The south node and the sun are both at 19 degrees of Taurus. They're like three minutes apart. They could almost not be closer together. Yeah. No, that's like, it's perfect for for him. South node is, yeah, it's kind of like fuck everything a little bit. (laughs) Or, you know, it's it's grungy. It's, you know, Um, but the north node, uh, see, I have the north node um, on my midheaven and the south node right on my my IC. So I've um, been trying to learn as much about the North and South Node and from different traditions because they're really not, you know, in traditional Western astrology, not really fleshed out very well. And they're mostly just seen as bad news. Like the best you get is like, oh, you know, some writers, bad. some writers will say the North yeah. Node at least can amplify benefics and the, the South Node can minimize malefics. And then some writers yeah. are just like the nodes are just awful. Yeah, and Valens really did not like the South Node. He was just like, dude, if anything's near the South Node, just like hide. Just do nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like he clearly he had some kind of bad experience while there was an eclipse going on or something was near the South Node. And he was just like, no to hell with this. I know, I know. <laughs> Which is why I'm like trying to get like better, just more broader perspective on the nodes and what they really do. Yeah. Because um, I don't know, for personal reasons, but also I just want to know what they really do. Because I tended that scared scared of the nodes thing sort of rubbed off on me but uh i should kind of love the nodes and it really fits in with the way i operate in life which is um 
you know, I, I, I never take anyone's authority for granted. <laughs> it's almost, it can be problematic sometimes, but yeah, I mean, I, I know the North node it can almost just wants to contradict, you know, whatever, whatever is, you know, established authorities are saying is true. The North node's like, wants to complicate it. And I know the North node is very uh, associated with material things while the South node is, is dematerializing. And that, that makes sense too, with, you know, the South node being the place where the sun is elevated above the moon. So spirit is elevated above the material yeah. and vice versa with the North node, the material is elevated above spiritual, which is, it, it does kind of fit in with like, you know, if the North node sort of represents the direction you're headed in this life, it's like this current earthly incarnation yeah. um, is represented. You know, this is the place where the moon is elevated over the sun. This is your current incarnation. This is the body that you are in now. And this is what you're sort of supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah. You know, if that's if that's the, the belief system that you follow, then that symbolism definitely fits. Yeah. And also just like the... Um, the nodes are very symbolic of of death and rebirth just because they are the eclipse points. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, you don't really need to explain why eclipses are evocative of death and rebirth. Yeah. Light goes out. The, the overturning. And then the light comes back. Yeah. And mm -hmm. some, something is overturned and something new replaces it. Yeah. They're sort of, they're very apocalyptic. And so, you know, I guess you could think of uh, the the death of a, a body and the rebirth of an individual soul as being sort of like a mini apocalypse on a very small individual scale. Uh, absolutely. And how the, actually one of my favorite examples of not everybody dies on a, on eclipse, you know, or was born on an eclipse, but um, the episode of killer cosmos I did on John Wayne Gacy really kind of centered around him being born on a South node eclipse and then dying. Um, he was executed on the day of a South node eclipse. It was like conjunct. Saturn in his chart and Saturn having to do with like punishment <laughs> sometimes or uh, the consequences of one's actions. And um, I didn't get into this in, in the episode, but it got me thinking about this idea of reincarnation and the nodes and whatever, um, you know, what is John Wayne Gacy's, uh, <laughs> you know, incarnation life path? Like, uh, I don't know what that would indicate for his next life, but probably nothing nothing great and i think we can probably confidently say he did not get whatever he was supposed to be doing in mm. this life if we're using yeah, that, that model you know where souls kind of you know have to learn lessons and resolve issues in each subsequent life i don't think that he was successful on yeah. that particular lifetime i mean it depends on what you're supposed to be successful at. I guess the Vedic, the South Node, uh, bears weapons, right? And uh, hence where you kind of get the punk rock thing with the, the spiky shoulder pads and shit and like the... Oh, yeah, the like Christmas you know, tree spikes yeah. on all your jewelry and... Yeah. Uh, Sid Bishard has Venus and Taurus right near the South Node too, which is funny. Yeah, the like South Node aesthetic where it's... I mean, that's mm -hmm. an interesting thing is that like he was very much an aesthetic icon mm -hmm. and a fashion icon, which is very Venusian. It suits somebody who has a bunch of planets in Taurus, mm -hmm. um, like Sid Vicious did in his chart. But it's that like rebellious, trashy, harsh, edgy, sharp kind of aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Now my, my partner, Megan, has uh, <clears throat> Venus uh, pretty close to the South Node in Libra. And she fits her. It's like a understated 
sense of, of beauty and style. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not here to look pretty for you so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's like, I have a strong aesthetic sensibility. I care yeah. about fashion and I have strong tastes and opinions, but yeah, I, don't, I don't really care about I'm what you think I look things. like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not wearing it for you, you know? Yeah. I'm wearing it to make a, a political statement or I'm wearing it because it's what I like or because it makes me feel good or I'm mm-hmm. you know wearing it to make a, a statement about art or whatever it is not yeah. uh, meant to be sort of like appealing to or because I have this annoying body this body that I have to put clothes on so I'll just put on whatever <laughs> guess all yeah I have to wait I don't know do we have anything else to say about the south node or no I, I think that's good I think we covered yeah, it I feel like the uh, the the basic answer is you know it depends. Um, if you believe in reincarnation, um, the South Node is definitely very important uh, as an indication of of unresolved past life stuff in evolutionary astrology. Um, so if that's something that you're interested in, definitely find an evolutionary astrologer and. Yeah. Uh, Aside from it being, you know, explicitly connected to past lives in that school of astrology, I think there's there's a case for it being um, connected to the past and potentially past lives and other traditions of astrology as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to hear from listeners um, if they have any prominent South Node placements and if they have a sort of relationship to punk rock or um, maybe like grunge or uh, and all these like band names are popping into my head like what is it puddle of filth uh, puddle uh puddle of mud or cradle of filth or something yeah if, oh yeah like the, the band members have like south node placements or something but i want to hear if you have any any dirty south node stories <laughs> and if you uh if you do believe in past lives and yeah. uh, feel like the there's something about the South Node that speaks to something from the past that you're resolving in this life too. I'd also love to hear about that. Yeah, please. This is going to be the most concise episode of Astrology Hotline. <laughs> I love it. We it's had great. a time limit. <laughs> yeah. I I have a, as well, you have to feed your son and I have yes. to, I have a social uh, date at 630 on the dot. So we were forced <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to get this obligation in a specific from, window of yeah. time, it works. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, what do you have going on? I have the usual. Uh, I am. I'm offering uh, birth chart readings, synastry readings, year ahead forecasts, um, and short, you know, one question or big three readings over Zoom, um, which you can book through my website badsignastrology.ca. Uh, you can also find my blog there, or you can find it on Tumblr at badsignastrology, and you can find me on Instagram at badsignastrology, where I uh, post lots of content about you know current and upcoming transits and little you know reading your natal chart tips and that kind of stuff. Awesome. Well, I also, likewise, um, you can book a consultation with me at my website, kylepierceastrology.com. I have not, as I had hoped to, had time to publish nearly anywhere near the the amount of social media content that I had been planning. (laughs) And uh, I'm blaming this show. No, I'm... uh, (laughs) uh, We are, you know, actually, I mean, excited about it, but we're doing a lot of editing because we are working on a series of episodes 
covering the basics of astrology. So episode uh, for planets, uh, one for signs, one for houses, and one for aspects. And sort of um, bringing on guests for those episodes and coordinating them and then editing all of it. (laughs) It's very time consuming. So uh, hopefully there isn't a huge gap between this and the next episode. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say because we've got the holidays coming up. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, I, but I we, think we have can lots of forgiven. content coming for yeah. you all. <laughs> if you just be patient. In fact, subscribe and tell your friends and, you know, leave a review and all that cool stuff. And send us your questions. And send us your questions. And uh, thank you to Porter and B for yes, your you, amazing you, questions. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And um, I feel like with all these questions, I end up, you know, uncovering uh, books in my astrology library <laughs> that have been neglected or, you know, um, that I have yet to read. And so all these questions are getting a, a lot of those books in my archive uh, read, which is yeah. great. And I end up like learning all kinds of new stuff and getting all kinds of food for thought every time. So oh, I, yeah, I know. Just like refreshing, you know, like you yeah. maybe you learned or read something that you maybe glossed over in the past and then, you know, you hear it again. Um, then I always learn things from Tristan because he's brilliant and <laughs> it's fun. So, yeah, please keep the questions coming. Uh, I learn something new every episode. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, with that, we will... Call it a day, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening. Are you going to say thank you, Tristan? Are you grateful to our listeners? (laughs) No, No, I'll say the thing. You just, you wrapped it up so nicely. I didn't want to awkwardly (laughs) come in, so. I mean, I just wasn't sure if you were going to or not, but. um, No, I have no gratitude. If you have a question you would like to hear answered on Astrology Hotline, send us an email at astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com. Attention listeners, Astrology Hotline is at war. At war with unanswered astrology questions. We have the weapons, we have the training, but to achieve ultimate victory, we need your help. I want you to take out your phone, open up Apple Podcasts, Subscribe to Astrology Hotline, crush all five stars, and rain down a righteous review of furious satisfaction. I want you to open up Spotify, subscribe to Astrology Hotline, and launch one high-speed thumb of flaming death at that five-star rating. And I want you to find the gnarliest, most insidious astrology question you can find. Email it to astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com so we can slaughter it mercilessly on the show. Together, we can conquer astrology one question at a time.